I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. I'm excited to welcome Ross Wenner, founder of the World Leadership School, to the podcast. After spending a decade as a journalist reporting across the globe on some of the world's naughtiest problems, Ross determined that he'd rather invest his energies in looking for solutions. So, in 2007, he founded the World Leadership School, a Colorado-based organization that partners with K-12 schools to reimagine learning and create next-generation leaders. The World Leadership School offers leadership-based global travel, educator training, and school consultancy services. Parish has partnered with World Leadership School since 2016 and through our Parish Abroad program has offered collaborative leadership trips to places like India, Peru, and Morocco. Among Ross's passions is helping young people discover their purpose, a point of interest to me as well as many listeners know. So in this episode, as we move more deeply into our theme of belonging and especially in these recent episodes to the importance of a sense of place to belonging, Ross and I will explore why focusing on young people as to their purpose, their place in this world is so important. We discuss together the challenges and opportunities associated with helping them find their purpose and place. We explore why this is vital for young people to embrace as an opportunity, how experiences like global travel, the program we offer through Parish Abroad, serve students to this end. Please enjoy this conversation with Ross Weiner. Ross Wenner, World Leadership School. Thanks for being on the From My Angle podcast. Absolutely, Dave. Great to be here. Good to have you in Dallas. Normally, I'm talking to you through uh, Zoom or some other digital device, but this is great. Oh, I love Dallas. Yeah, and you're here uh, because your organization does, as we'll talk about, a lot of educational uh, um, training, uh, yeah. training of educators, and you're here doing a workshop today uh, around risk and risks associated with, with travel. So we're glad you're here at Parish and took advantage of you for a few minutes to uh, have a conversation. So, right. I mean, before we dig into our topic today, which is going to be on the belonging theme, and specifically this last several uh, episodes I've been talking about uh, in communities of belonging, uh, you have to have a sense of place. So we want to talk to you about young people, where they find their place or purpose in life. But before we do that, we should let people uh, know your story a little bit. You're a journalist and founder of the World Leadership School. So tell us a little bit about uh, your journey that's brought you to this point in time. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm Ross Winter, and I'm the founder of World Leadership School. And uh, we're an organization based in Boulder, Colorado, with about a team of about 50 people around the world. And we do two big things. One is that we help our K-12 through schools um, reimagine learning in order to create next generation leaders. And so that's our mission. And what we do specifically with schools is we help schools um, create global programs where we take students out into the world on immersive global experiences. And we have run uh, several programs now with Parish Episcopal School that are ongoing. Um, and the second thing we do is that we work with educators to help bring purpose-driven uh, globally connected learning back into the classroom. So, you know, we think of this as like a cycle of change, taking students out, bringing the good learning back in a, into the classroom. And that's how we help drive change in schools. 
Yeah, and so this wasn't what you started out to do, speaking of finding your purpose. So tell us a little bit about that uh, life that you had before you founded World Leadership School in 2007 and what the epiphany was that made you decide this is where you wanted to invest your intellectual capital and your time. Yeah, sure. So if it's okay, Dave, I'll, I'll explain that in the context of some of the work we're doing right right, right now around purpose in, in youth. So, you know, I, um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, outside Washington, D.C., um, I had a very goal-driven uh, high school career, and then I went to the University of Virginia. I graduated from college, and I was in this space where I had a job, I had uh, a brand new car, I had everything was perfect. And one day I woke up, and I and I said to myself, I thought to myself, um, I'm not living the right life. Like I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and I felt this sort of sense of dread. Mm. And I went to my parents and I said, look, mom and dad, I need a loan to, because I want to quit my job as a reporter in Washington, D.C. And I instead want to go down to South America where all the action is and, and, and write about that instead as a freelance writer. And my dad said, you know, you have worked so hard, Ross, to get where you are. You have a brand new Volkswagen Jetta. <laughs> Why would Life you? Life is good. <laughs> why would you throw it all away at this point? And and I. So what are you? Twenty five? Twenty six? No, I was twenty one. You just really literally out of UVA. I was twenty one, and I thought about it and thought about it, and finally I made the painful decision to basically uproot my life and move down to South America. And I spent the next um, seven years as a reporter in South America. And it was the best thing I ever mm. done. I ever did. And you know the research we know around purpose is that. Um, purpose is a really powerful force for students and it sometimes requires them to take these bold risks mm -hmm. that others can't see and this is yeah. part of you know Todd Rose's book Dark Dark Horse dark which horse, we're going to talk horse, about right yep. and for me that risk was really worth it I went I spent six years in Latin America and I realized in the course of those six, six years covering all these different global issues from you know terrorism to human rights mm -hmm. abuses to climate change and all kinds of things that I wanted to stop uh, although I was following the path I'm supposed to be on, I wanted to stop reporting on problems and instead I wanted to do something about them. Mm. And I knew that educating a new generation of leaders would be the way to do it. And so I became a classroom teacher, I got my master's, um, I worked briefly for the National Outdoor Leadership School leading wilderness programming, and then I started World Leadership School. And I've been doing that for the last 12 years and it's uh, just, you know, honestly, it's just a really a purpose-driven job for me. I want to do it until I'm no longer able to, to work. You know, I just love it. Yeah, so we got connected maybe three years ago. It was actually a parish parent, Matt Flieger, who had met you somewhere in Dallas, and he called me and said, have you heard of World Leadership School? I had not. So, again, uh, as you're insinuating here, picking up the phone, just taking chances, looking into things, just sort of the way I operate. I think I picked up the phone and called you and said, what gives? And that was late fall, around this time. Yeah. And you're like, hey, how about, a, how about we do a trip with you to India next summer? And we at the time had a really fledgling uh, set of global programs, but we um, pushed it along and pushed it through with Rick Dunn, who now oversees Parish Abroad. And as you referenced in your open, um, since 2016, we've done trips with you to India twice, Morocco, Peru. Uh, our middle school just went to Belize this past summer. So I think the thing that's really powerful in the, uh, that component of the World Leadership School model, the collaborative leadership trip programs, um, is the uh, leadership training that uh, happens pre-trip, on the trip, and to a great degree in the return of the trip. Yeah. And the features of the 10 to 11 day trip itself, where you all have a tremendous team on the ground in country to really partner with our faculty chaperones 
in taking that cultural experience and turning it into uh, a significant leadership opportunity for, for young people. So talk a little bit about especially what happens on those trips in terms of how you leverage the resource, both your own team, the parish team in this instance, and your in-country team to create this really powerful leadership experience for kids in those uh, global leadership uh, trips. Sure. Well, you know, I, I think of our trips, our programs as a, a well-designed intervention that nudges students to what we call a purpose mindset. Mm. And so, you know, Stanford University has the Center on Adolescence and they've been leading the research on purpose, what it is, how it works, et cetera. And we know that, you know, kids who have a sense of purpose have a deep core of meaning on the inside. In, in other words, they know who they are. And they also have connections to the world um, that enable them to take actions in line with their purpose. So it's like, um, you know, it's a core of meaning on the inside connected to an action on the outside. It can be very, very simple, like students whose purpose might be to light up the room with humor mm-hmm. and they're practicing as a, as a stand-up, mm-hmm. you know, comedian um, on their own time. Or uh, students whose purpose is to help others overcome obstacles and they're uh, helping their younger sibling um, learn how to read. So we think of our programs as um, these well-designed containers where Mm -hmm. students are disconnected from technology and the normal rhythms of life. Mm -hmm. They're pushed off balance or Mm decentered by immersive experiences. Um, And then finally, we pair them with local leaders and with local students to help them see things through new perspectives. Mm -hmm. Disconnect, decenter, re-envision. And in the process, students learn a lot about who they are, Mm -hmm. and they also form these really powerful new connections um, to the world. And we know, you know, Stanford has this thing called the Youth Purpose Study, which is a 45-minute survey um, that they do with with young people to measure purposefulness. And um, it turns out that, you know, in their research, you know, um, with thousands of students around the world, that only about 20% of um, students in high school have a sense of purpose. Right. In other words, have dreams and goals. Yep. We know that another you know, 25% are goal-driven, so they're performing at a very high level, working really, really hard, but ultimately their goals really are about mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. There's not mm-hmm. like this larger sense to mm-hmm. it. There's other students who are dreamers, a 30% who are dreamers. These are students who have a lot of meaning on the inside, but somehow are not able to express that meaning or take action in school and in the world. Yep. And then there's a disengaged students, students that have neither dreams nor goals. And so, you know, one way to think about our program is how can we take these goal-driven kids that independent schools are so good at producing, these kids who are working so hard, and how can we help them really attach to something meaningful? Mm-hmm. And in doing so, they move from that goal-driven quadrant mm-hmm. to the purpose quadrant. So on the trip, for example, you'll have students work on a, on a task while they're there that yeah. is community focused and, and community oriented but that decentering piece by far the more, most powerful element that I've heard about it from the travelers coming back is the two to three to four nights that they're spending with a family in country sleeping on the uh, floor of the main yeah. portion of the house which the family has sacrificed uh, f- uh, for their own space to allow the guests uh, to sleep there for example our students and so it really has that powerful element of both service uh, but this uh, de- this really de- de- uh, stabilizing and decentering mm-hmm. uh, experience that you talked about, which is which is a powerful um, combination uh, of impacts. Exactly, yeah. and we call it you know we call it a container because if you were to do something like that <coughs> homestay without having a well designed container, you know, you might have students who really have high levels of anxiety. 
But because we, we build a container thoughtfully with group dynamics and pre-program preparation, the students feel a sense of safety in their community. And so they can step into those increased risks and they can grow from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we've been really fortunate and have enjoyed the partnership and continue to uh, uh, explore ways to expand it. Parish Abroad has grown immensely in part uh, fueled by our partnership with you and now moved its trips down to the to the middle school uh, yeah. as, as well. So we're appreciative of, of that effort. But I would turn to return more. Now you've given such great background on this idea of p- purpose, but I, and I want to return to this for a bit in a more uh, um, general way, uh, somewhat detached from Parrish, just to, as two folks that spend a lot of time working with youth and consider the challenges and opportunities that exist for us to instill purpose in young people earlier and maybe start with the challenges, right? So you mentioned the statistics yeah. uh, that are so low, uh, 20% right. on high school kids that have a sense of purpose. Uh, what, what, from your observation, are the greatest inhibitors or challenges for um, educators today in instilling or helping young people to, to discover a sense of purpose? Well, if it's okay, I'd, I'd love just to talk about, before we talk about the challenges, mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about like why purpose is important. Mm-hmm. And we know that for adults and for students, uh, purposeful kids and ad- adults are happier, healthier, they sleep better, they have better relationships. But really importantly for students, they have, they're deeper learners because kids who have a solid identity, sense of self, um, their cognitive brain, their thinking brain is connected to their feeling brain. Mm -hmm. And so they're deeper learners. Um, And purposeful kids also, as they manage stress, they they tend to gravitate things that align with their purpose. And so they're finding, they're going through school and connecting learning to their purpose. And so they can actually turn what is debilitating stress for certain kids into good stress mm-hmm. that invigorates them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So purposeful kids oftentimes will actually even take on more challenge than goal-driven kids, and they still thrive. Right. So that's, that's why this is all important, and it comes against the backdrop of, an, of a really a national epidemic in anxiety <laughs> and student stress where you know, we now know that one in three 18-year-olds are, quali- are qualifying for an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation as to why anxiety is on the rise mm-hmm. among teens today, mm-hmm. but purpose is clearly um, a really powerful solution. Mm-hmm. So when we look and, at it- And I'll only add, yes. Gallup's, Gallup has done tremendous research in this space. Yes. And when you have, as their research has shown over extended period of time, 66% of adults in the United States saying that they're disengaged at work, yeah. right? That they're finding no deep meaning in, in, in their work. It's not fulfilling. It's not growing them. It's not leveraging their strengths. Uh, th- this, is, this is something that moves out of the youth sector into the adult sector, where you've got two out of three adults who are going to work every day, essentially waiting for it to be Friday. So it, this is, I think, why we all share an interest in not just educational models that should be reimagined to heighten engagement and a sense of why am I doing this, which is what we've been aspiring to do here at Parish for uh, several years and will continue to, uh, but really this notion of launching kids from here yeah. into work and life that's purposeful and enriching and meaningful. So sorry for the digression, but no, the, no. Par- and the parallel from youth to adult should be, should be cited, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the, the high growing anxiety that we've seen in high school students actually gets worse in, in college. One out of five college freshmen is the late, latest statistic yeah. that I saw from last fall. One out of five anxious, depressed uh, and, and we know college counseling services are having to expand right. and broaden to deal with what's arriving on their campuses uh, each fall. 
And, you know, one, to me, you know, people ask, so why is this happening? Why is there this, like, <laughs> unprecedented mm -hmm. epidemic of stress and anxiety and depression in, in our youth today? Um, and, you know, uh, Dave, you and I have both read that book, um, Dark Horse by Todd Rose. But he, he really describes how we are into this apocal shift or this, like, shift between ages, between mm -hmm. what he calls standardization, mm -hmm. which is this idea... And when I went, when we went to high school, when I went to high school, this is, I was absolutely in a large standardized high school where what they told me was, get your good grades, get the GPA, yep. get your SATs. You know, no one ever sat me down and was like, who are you? What are you interested in? Um, you know, what's your identity? What's your cultural? None of that ever happened to me. And, and, you know, that's how I ended up in that situation of graduating to UVA seeing all my friends go off and work for Bain and Exxon and whatever else the company was. And then eventually I was one of the lucky ones that, that had like a purpose crisis and, <laughs> and I ended up following my path instead yes. of. So Todd Rose says, you know, standardization, which was the last century, is all about, um, it's all about a, you know, career as a straight line, mm -hmm. climbing the ladder, mm -hmm. if it gets tough. You know, just, hey, stay the course. The one straight path, he refers to it in the book. The one straight right. path, mm -hmm. right. You got to be the same as everyone else, just a, just little, a little bit, bit better. better. Yep. Um, exactly. And it's all about the institution. Like, you join yep. an institution, you sign up for 30 years, and your voice, your individuality doesn't really matter. There's no room for fulfillment, Rose cites. There's no room for fulfillment in that definition of success. Yep. Success is just, as you say, being a, a notch better than everybody else who's climbing that same that same ladder, but fulfillment is is, yeah. is suppressed, right? In, in the, the in the age of in the age of, of standardization, yeah, vis-a-vis -vis the age of personalization. So you can think of it as those goal-driven kids we were talking about before. That's what that's the world that they're living in. They're like, they're the the narrative they're playing in their head is if I just get good grades, if I'm just better than everyone else, um, I'll be happy. That's sort of the narrative, and that narrative may have worked in the 1950s or 60s or 70s, but it's no longer working now. And, and the reason for that, Todd Rose says, is that we've shifted to this new world of personalization. And part of it is brought on by technology, where you know technology has created these incredible personalized worlds, where everything is personalized towards us, but also it allows us to send our message out via Twitter or whatever in unprecedented ways. And so our ability to express who we are has never been greater. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, what Todd Rose says is, he says, in the, in the personalization of, of the future, it's a gig economy, it is short-term contract labor, careers are going to be a zigzag, you know, and the key, and the key is not joining an institution where you're going to work for 30 years, but rather doing a lot of very quick trial and error, mm -hmm. taking those kinds of bold risks that I did when I was 21, yep. luckily, and, and finding your fit. And, and what Todd Rose says is, if you can find your fit, where you fit, and you can think of that as, who am I mm -hmm. and how do I connect, then your, then your performance like explodes. Yep. And so, you know, what he says is, um, you know, this, this uh, finding your right fit leads to this deep sense of fulfillment that ultimately allows you to perform at a very high level. Right, and that fulfillment actually arcs back and you are so grateful and have such gratitude for it that you pour it back into the collective. So it is this biofeedback mechanism. Is the more fulfilled I am, the yeah. richer the community uh, and group becomes. Once we all find our place of belonging and sense of purpose, we pour that back in, not just to ourselves, but into the into the group collectively. And you had referenced earlier as you were talking about how you're working with youth to really identify uh, what their points of purpose are, even if even if it's as small as being the stand up 
you know, comedian yeah. at a talent show because you, you like to make people laugh. And Rose goes into great uh, length to talk about this idea of knowing your micro motives, he calls mm-hmm. them, right? Those very, very specific things that uh, give give you a sense of purpose and joy. So when we talk back to the challenges around this, again, the model of education, be it a progressive place like Parrish or a standardized public school, uh, a huge bureaucratic public school, perhaps like the one you're referring to, is that the uh, one sector of the world that has continued to fight back against personalization is the world of education. Now, yeah. you can... Uh, you can uh, uh, customize your mattress. You can customize your fitness plan. You can get the menu you want from the latest uh, uh, menu delivery, uh, meal delivery service. But in schools, when we start talking about personalizing uh, delivery, as we've done here at Parish and in many of our programs, as we have with our signature efforts like Parish Abroad and the Academy of Global Studies and the Leadership Institute, uh, our STEM program at Rover, these are all designed to give kids chances to go deep and figure out who they are and what really lights them on fire, is that the educational model and the consumers who come to it have such an analog uh, sense of what it should feel like and look like that it becomes very hard to rewrite the code for schools. I think yeah. that is the biggest challenge for all of us uh, who are trying to uh, incorporate through different uses of time, different delivery methods of curriculum, different assessment methods, uh, who are trying to change those, who are fighting back against people who are saying, well, hey, that's not what school's supposed to do. That's not what yeah. school should feel like. I don't know what else you see in terms of challenges in today's uh, psychology of students or parents or schools that are yeah. fighting back against this. Well, I mean, I think in, in five years, we'll know a lot more because this is honestly, this is happening very quickly. But what you just described is, you know, what David Tyak calls the grammar of schooling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as parents who went to school in the 80s and 90s, who went to high school in the 80s and 90s, we assume mm-hmm. that school should have 50-minute bell periods, that learning should be divided into these neat little subjects, yep. and that teachers should be divided into those subjects, mm-hmm. and that students should have to earn credits, which, by the way, were an invention by the industrialist Andrew Carnegie in 1910, <laughs> um, and that we should grade students with A, B, C, D grades, etc. These are all assumptions, and all these assumptions are going to completely change in the next decade. And we could, we could talk about this for hours, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm involved with the Mastery Transcript Consortium, which is a new effort to reinvent uh, the college transcript mm-hmm. around giving giving uh, college admissions officers now a visual representation of a child that shows everything about them their mm-hmm. their social side their emotional side their after school stuff their community stuff and so we're heading into a very rich and interesting world and we're already seeing that in the common application process where you know the um, colleges now are fishing for purpose driven students in the common application by asking questions taken from Stanford's Youth Purpose Study, mm-hmm. such as, hey, some, this is one question from uh, this year's uh, essay prompts <coughs> the common ap- application. Some students have a background that is so meaningful to them that their college application would be with, incomplete without it. If this applies to you, what's your story? Mm-hmm. So you, know, you see there colleges really asking students to be vulnerable, to tell story, mm-hmm. to really sort of stand out. It's not, hey, you know, what's your, what's your SAT yeah. vis-a-vis the other? So what's co- your resume for us, right? I mean, the college admissions process, high schools may not be showing the shift to personalization yet, but the college admissions process certainly is. So to get to your question about challenges, again, we're at a very early stage in this transition um, from, you know, into personalization at schools. Parrish has been, a glo- you know, really a national leader in this, and you're so much more advanced than other schools um, that we work with, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But... 
you know, the number one thing that I see, the number one challenge is culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, schools have to have a culture where faculty feel safe to just be who they are mm-hmm. and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability is something that Brene Brown and others have really focused on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brene Brown calls vulnerability the birthplace of innovation. Mm-hmm. And she challenges teachers to think of their classrooms as like, a, a room full of turtles mm-hmm. and your job as a teacher is to create an environment that's so magical and safe and vulnerable that teacher that students can take off their shells their emotional armor and she says when we can allow students to be be safe and be vulnerable that's when the deep learning happens mm-hmm. and i really think that i really think she's she's right about that and mm-hmm. so it begins it begins with culture and these are thematically connected to previous podcasts. Our last two board chair, Andrea Mayfield, was just on talking about how behavior uh, really drives culture. So the, yeah. the organizational behaviors uh, are really what set culture. And pre- preceding that, we had a collection of uh, faculty and, and students who I spoke with about our recent Inclusive Community Task Force report. The first uh, aspiration of which is that when students come here, they can be their authentic selves, right? And, and that's this is this notion of be, bringing my bringing my vulnerability to be who I am at my authentic core uh, into this community and to be honored uh, to be honored for it. And so yeah, I think I think that this this notion of these sort of affective side of the school culture, not just like how many APs do you offer and what are your standardized test scores, right? This this notion of what are you doing on the affective side of culture uh, in schools, uh, I hear you saying is a really powerful component component to uh, building a place that focuses as much on uh, purpose as product. And a lot of schools just focus on the product. Like, what are, you, what are you pushing out from your kids? Show me where your kids go to school. You know, yeah. what we've really embraced here through Daily Chapel, through our signature programs, through the impact document that families know have just come out that we're working on with the kids around mindsets is to round the kids off uh, to, to begin this exploration of self. I still think it's an immense challenge. I think our kids are psychologically, our older kids still very much focused on the outcome. I think they're uh, deep in, and uh, sort of lost in technology in the world of, of social connectedness yeah. rather than connectedness to purpose and meaning. Uh, but uh, I, I think uh, our, our commitment here institutionally is to, is to partner with you and others that are uh, really trying to push, uh, push the culture of this place to shift uh, the thought process to 15 years from now, 25 years from now, right. 35 years from now, what's going to bring you fulfillment and meaning? And, and it's not going to be what your GPA was at Parish, and it's not going to be where you went to college, uh, right? Well, it'll be part of it. And I think that what is, what is stressful for kids today is that they're stuck. They're neither in a personalized era, era anymore or a standardized era. I mean, in some ways, the high school we went to in the 80s was much easier than the high school today, where... Students have to, you know, perform very well on all these. I mean, because schools are still looking at your GPA and your SAT, but they also have to have this incredible story. They do, and this incredible like sense of sense of purpose. So it's stressful, and it's stressful for teachers. I mean, recent recent polls said that forty six percent of teachers feel extreme stress on a daily basis, which makes teaching as stressful as working in an emergency room. So you know, we're asking <laughs> we're asking teachers to be professional, hit AP content. But at the same time, to also be authentic and human in class. And, you know, for parents, I think parents feel this bind, too, because as parents, you know, we have to be love and logic. We have to, like, be perfectly controlled, loving, but also logical parents. But, you know, we also have to have um, a sense of purpose ourselves, because, you know, I think that the second challenge, Dave, that schools, families, we all have is, you know, we, you cannot give away what you don't own. Mm. If you're a teacher or a parent and you do not have a clear sense of purpose mm-hmm. in your life, 
how can we expect right. to coach our students to do the same? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good checkpoint. Like, what are your kids hearing from you? Are they hearing about what fills your soul and makes your makes you sing a song, uh, in in metaphorical terms, or are they just hearing the latest? Uh, is your homework done? What's your GPA? Like, what are they hearing you focus on? Right, even in the questions that you ask and the conversations you have, I think that's a really powerful and sometimes uncomfortable checkpoint for all of us to have. I'm not holding myself to any immunity on. We all are A type action oriented parents, right? So striking that balance in the level of conversation we have with our own kids around uh, outcome versus experience, it's a great point of reflection. So yeah. and it's, and it's, it's, it's tough. One way, you know, one framework that we have come up with to help us understand the future of learning is this idea of thinking, feeling, and doing. And, and the idea really is, is that, look, in the, in the past, school, and maybe even life, was primarily about thinking. In other words, it was about, you know, school was about helping kids develop key cognitive skills like critical reasoning, which is important, by the way, mm -hmm. and content knowledge, especially when it comes to these, you know, AP exams. Um, but school in the future is going to find ways to integrate thinking, really rigorous thinking, with feeling, so helping kids develop a deep sense of self, uh, mindfulness, emotional regulation, um, understanding your cultural, racial, ethnic lens, all that stuff falls under feeling. So who am I mm -hmm. is the question. Uh, and then the other part of it is doing. So really helping kids make real connections to the world, so find sparks, um, make, create, work on real problems with real people. This is where global learning and service learning, off-campus mm -hmm. learning, mm -hmm. internships, mm -hmm. mentorships, this was where this all comes in. So, you know, I think as teachers... And as parents, we need to be thinking about how can we be focusing on thinking, feeling, and doing mm. all at the same time. And so as a parent, I try to, I try to think about, okay, I need to check in on my kids' Schoology, their, their grades on a daily basis, but I also need to check in on who they are, how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And I need to be watching my kids to see like where, the, where their hand turns mm -hmm. and, and, and what really kind of sparks them and, and motivates them. And so... It's in some ways it's a much more complex world now than it used to be. For sure, and uh, appreciate that parent advice. It's uh, it's fantastic as we as we close. So the uh, elements of conversation we've spoken about today, uh, there are thirty five youth who are going to be here on Saturday uh, to have your organization lead them through many of those same themes. I'm so glad uh, a good number of those kids are parish kids, but we also have folks coming from the broader uh, community of charter and public and other independent schools in town. Uh, and we're bringing some youth together to convene around these very questions of uh, who they are and what uh, strikes a spark in their soul and where they might uh, put that into action in the future. So glad you're here. We could talk all afternoon, you and I, so that'd be dangerous. Uh, but thanks thanks for being here and, and joining me on the podcast. Dave, one last thing I'll <laughs> say about the Youth Action Accelerator. For is sure. That there are very deliberate strategies that schools can pursue to help uh, faculty and students explore, discover, and articulate a sense of purpose. And the Youth Action Accelerator is a five-hour process to do just that. So we're really excited to be to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my first experience with it on, on Saturday. Good to see you, my friend. Thank you for uh, spending some time with me. Great. Thank you, awesome. Dave. Yep. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, co-host Amari Hayes returns with several of his upper school peers together we will look at how today's teens navigate finding their place in today's complicated social culture. Until the next time, thanks for joining me on From My Angle.